1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing?
0: I'm doing better. I have emerged from the ice. I was uh, locked in ice all weekend, which uh, um, wasn't entirely... Uh, an awful thing. It, it could have been a lot worse. I, uh, I wasn't one of the people that lost power and lost internet and had uh, trees destroy their homes and and that kind of thing. In that regard, it was really quiet. So, um, kept all my exotic animals alive and got a chance to uh, watch a lot of anime and play video games. Productive stuff.
1: Uh, that sounds important. Yeah. My, uh, my heart
0: goes out to all the folks,
1: um, who are, uh, who are struggling with this. Cause you know, it's, this got real nasty. Um, for a lot of people, like I, I know people who did, um, lose power and for a lot of people, uh, you know, losing power, losing heat, like th- those aren't inconveniences. Those are like, those, those are pretty serious matters. Um, uh, I, I personally was, uh, you know, me and mine, uh, here in my building are we're, we're pretty well provisioned. We, uh, we did okay. Uh, um, it, <laughs> and I've got a bunch of film to study and all these transfers that Oregon keeps adding, including, including a new one today, you know, that I've mm-hmm. got to add. In fact, we, we were delayed a little bit in starting the recording because, uh, uh, some of the film acquisition for, for Duke was, uh, getting hung up. I, I needed to do a re-encode and it was taking up too much of my CPU. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, I, you know, those projects are going to take me a little while because I got to watch some film on it. And, and, uh, and, and so that's going to be a little ways down the line, but we got plenty of basketball to talk about. Um, you wrote up, uh, uh, well, you wrote up some of the women's basketball, including um, during the, the beginning of conference play when oregon uh, was really uh, stinking up on the floor on the women's mm-hmm. side um y- you got a particularly uh, a brutal assignment the uh, ucla game in which uh chance gray was out on concussion protocol y- you know n- now here's the game you know oregon loses this game by like 26 points uh they're playing like the number two team in the country you know maybe the best team in the country really we're on all is said and done uh on their floor you know without their you know Oregon doesn't have a point guard this year Chance Gray is the closest thing they have to a point guard so it's like man this is going to be ugly um sure. I mean, it was so ugly that your art, your articles, which you usually, you know, have, uh, filled up with nice Twitter clips,
0: uh, (laughs) didn't even have that, at least not from Oregon. No, no, just UCLA. And, uh, you know, I, I like to point out highlights, you know, regardless of the team and, um, you know, with the, with Oregon teams with football and basketball and that kind of thing, um, we get used to, uh, you know, volleyball, we get used to having, uh, a lot of, um, Twitter snippets to work with, uh, Oregon athletics is really good about, um, uh, about keeping their Twitter active.
1: Yeah. I mean, but, did you see the cinematic recap of the, the Cal men's basketball game and the return of and Dante? Yeah. And, and, and like the whole thing was set to the soundtrack of his favorite song. And it was just like, I mean, this stuff deserves like an Emmy, like, yeah. Yeah. And and then the contrast of that versus the, like, just going dark versus in this women's basketball game versus UCLA, not because women's basketball gets short shrift from Oregon, but just because this game,
0: like, (laughs) they, they literally did not have, uh, any, uh, twitter feeds they had yeah. one play that uh, that was on twitter because like what was the highlight right. yeah well, exactly and, can... and and to be fair to be fair i do use um other programs feeds Um yeah you know if i'm if i'm trying to uh, illustrate something or you know hey it, it was a good game they did some good stuff and hey, look at this I mean,
1: there are. We'll talk about their first conference win here in a second against Arizona State. Um, in fact, they swept the Arizona schools um, uh, in their next series. Well, we'll we'll talk about the um, the the Arizona game um, with. Uh, I think Tristan covered that for us. So the next time we talk. To- to Tristan um but before we get off of the UCLA game I you know it was was, the outcome was sort of inevitable which is why we're going to hustle through it um but there are a couple things that are worth noting um that that I thought were interesting about the UCLA game because like look for all the stuff that we just laid out like I mean this game maybe should have been like you know 80 to 20 or like 90 to 20 or something like that and it wasn't like there are a couple, and so,
0: some of that's because uh, UCLA had uh, a cold hand to start the game out as well,
1: not just to start the game, but like they ended on a cold. I mean, like Oregon was actually playing halfway decent defense, actually, like, yep. or not just halfway decent defense, like Oregon. I mean, as they have been all season, I I feel like we've I've been I've been saying this often enough that this ain't a fluke like Oregon is actually a pretty good defensive basketball team, you know, for all all of their problems, uh, you know, have to do with ball handling you know regarding like not turning the ball over which oh boy were they turning the ball over in this game um and they have to do with scoring because they don't have enough scorers you know they really only have three players they really only have two players who can reliably put the ball in the bucket and you know one of them is still learning the game of basketball frankly um or that you know who's filipina che and she's the way that she scores buckets like she can't like just the nature of it is that you need a ball handler to get her the ball. And like Oregon like doesn't have that. Like she's dependent on the rest of the team. So if The rest of the team is malfunctioning. She's like the end pro you know, she's the last link on the chain. So if like the rest of it is malfunctioning, she looks like she's malfunctioning is the problem with that. And then chance gray who was out in this game, you know, so like,
0: uh, um yeah uh, and, and as I noted in the article um chance gray can be counted on for um normally at averaging about 15 or uh, 20 points uh a game and even having her in there w- wasn't going to um w- wasn't going to earn oregon a victory and uh, a lot of it had to do with um what you what you talked about with with ball control and it wasn't just a ucla defenders stepping in front of the pass or that kind of thing it was uh whoever handled the ball would would kind of fumble it and uh, yeah. the ucla player would pick it up and yeah, yeah down for two I, I think mean, i illustrated was, one I mean, of those in, in the highlights yeah yeah
1: you did yeah, like i mean your article it's i mean painful as a duck fan but if you're like if you're actually into it like you should you didn't just select clips for like maximum pain value you selected clips to illustrate the arguments that you were making in your article about like this is what's going on um and like you're absolutely right and like those were valuable and like yes you selected appropriate clips to illustrate your arguments like which yeah the we write serious articles here at Addicted Quack. Uh, yep. I wanted to say about the defense, the defensive performance. Like it wasn't like UCLA's poor shooting and Oregon's good defense. Like it wasn't like a momentary thing or like oh they got out to a you know cold start but then they fixed it. It was it was persistent. It was throughout. It was all four quarters. You know UCLA was you know Oregon was maintained their defensive pressure. You know throughout the entire game, so it's such that uh, UCLA shot 40% throughout the entire game in during no quarter. Did they ever get above 42% they shot 24% from beyond the arc during no quarter. Did they get above 25%, right? So it, you know, it was persistent. Now, one thing is that they shot poorly from the free throw line. They only shot 56%, which like Oregon doesn't control, how well you shoot from the charity stripe. So, you know, that's on UCLA for for not making your free throws. You you know, however, Oregon is in control of the fact that they don't really foul when they're playing defense, which is another element of that we've been talking about all year is like Oregon plays good defense without really fouling. So UCLA, despite having the ball constantly because Oregon keeps turning the ball over, only shot 16 free throws, which is pretty Mm -hmm. good. Um, And like Oregon doesn't get into the, you know real foul trouble in this game
0: um you know or yeah the- like like i said in the article the uh the three-point shooting and the the three free throw shooting um did not really have a bearing on the outcome what did have a bearing on the outcome was uh ucla had Far and away, more attempts. Yes, at, at the basket. Exactly. Like so. Oregon,
1: actually, just like Oregon's shooting was just as bad as UCLA's right? Like Oregon shot 39.5% from the floor, almost identical to UCLA. Oregon mm-hmm. shot 28.6% from uh free throw from three point land, you know, actually slightly better than UCLA, although bad still, uh, you know, Oregon shot 73% from the charity stripe, which is still not as good as I would like to be, but still better than UCLA. It's mm-hmm. just that like, uh, you know they weren't getting nearly as many attempts as UCLA was because they kept turning the ball over and giving UCLA you know extra possessions. You know, and that's you know, but that's you know that's why I'm saying is like this game sort of like look they got blown out like it it sucked and like there's it's obvious why but like Oregon's actually just genuinely playing good defensive basketball. They can't put the ball in the bucket for obvious reasons but like their defense is good enough to win basketball games if they could just make a flipping shot okay I don't want to talk about this game anymore (laughs) um
0: over and done uh, like i just
1: want to make the point that like the idea that this is like top to bottom a terrible basketball team that can't do anything right it, you know is just like not true like it really comes down to they can't handle the ball and they can't make a shot which i know those are pretty big things but like you know we're trying to actually seriously analyze things not just wail and gnash our teeth and and make up problems that don't exist you know we're trying to actually be grown up analysts here and that's no more engagement. Okay. Now let's talk. Yeah. And
0: the, anything. and uh, I would like to say that the ball handling isn't kind of a linear thing where they're, it, that, that comes and goes in, in waves. And they just chose the wrong team to sure. really have a poor showing at controlling the ball. And, uh, and you lost for it. So, anyway, moving right along.
1: So then uh, the, the, you know, the immediately subsequent game is another loss against USC. We've already talked about that game on, on, on this podcast with a uh, different writer. Um, I, uh, Tristan covered that one for us, I believe. Um, the, uh, uh, then their next game is their next, you know, conference game against Arizona state. It was played in a Matthew Knight arena and, uh, the Oregon ducks won. Now, Arizona state's not a particularly good team this year. Um, or really any year. Arizona state's never really had a great women's basketball team that I can remember. Can you?
0: No, no. And, uh, I have to revisit my season preview, but my, um, yeah, I don't, I don't recall
1: pre- us thinking that they were going to be any good. Yeah. It, it was like one of these teams that's in a death spiral where it's like, they're not good. So they can't recruit. Cause why? Cause there's not enough available good players to go around. And so like, if you're not a good team, and like you can't attract the the very few number of good basketball players, so you stay a bad team, and so just uh, it's, it's just status quo is going to stay there forever. Anyway, that's, yeah, they so they were, we're going to be fighting to stay
0: out of the the very bottom of the Pac twelve stand. Yeah,
1: well, we're, you know, Oregon put them in the very bottom, so. Here's the thing, the and so like you know, a, as we have been talking about, Oregon plays you know good defensive basketball, and so there's really nothing you know worth talking about in in um in, in Arizona State's you know Arizona State's offense versus Oregon's defense side of the 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 stat sheet. It looks the way you expect it to. Arizona State only shoots forty percent from the floor. Um, they only attempt three um, uh, 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 free throws in the entire game because Oregon plays good defense without fouling. Right. Sound familiar. Right. Um, like every single one, like literally every single one of their players, uh, with the exception of one, um, who gets, you know, m- more than three minutes of play, No, no, no. Yeah. Literally every single one of their players who gets more than three minutes of play is net negative and plus minus. Um, there, there's one player who, who's positive, but she only got three minutes of play. Right. Um, it's like, yeah, this is a great defensive box score. You know, for for Oregon, um, they played great defense. They limited their scoring. They limited the number of free throws that they attempted. You know, because they weren't they were doing so without fouling. Sounds very familiar, right now. Oregon's offense. Chance Gray comes back, and it's like she's all the shots that she wasn't able to take against UCLA because she was out with concussion protocol. It's Like she she made a, she made them in this game, right? She goes two for four from you know beyond the arc and nine for seventeen from the floor. I think this is like the most production that she's had this year i might have to check on that but like 22 points
0: yeah and know. the vast vast majority of that was in the second half because it right. was grace van Sluton that was carrying the team in the first half oh yeah um, yeah you know, chance gray had some uh goose eggs and some of her stats right uh, but but picked it up in the second and round. You know, Oregon put,
1: none of Oregon's players were in foul trouble, of course. How could they be? The only, you know, Arizona State only shot at three free throws. Oregon was putting all of Arizona State's players in foul trouble. They had like three different players in foul trouble, including, you know, two of their their best scorers. Um uh uh this, you know, Oregon's box score is the most like Oregon box, you know, score ever, in which three players earn triple digits or, or double digits, you know, Chance Gray, Filipina Che, Grace Van salutin like of course, and then nobody else, you know, <laughs> it's like a bunch of yeah. zeros for everybody else, right? Kenny Basham zero, Phil uh, Sophia Bell zero, you know, Chamberlain zero, Priscilla Williams zero, Sammy Wagner zero, uh Kennedy Williams or excuse me, Kennedy Williams has two points. Uh, uh <laughs> You know, Salander's got zero, Bella Hamel's got zero. Sarah Rambis actually has an interesting box score. She gets eight points of which half are from the free throw line, mm-hmm. you know, because she was actually going to, this was actually part of the, the secret, was that Sierra Ramos was actually, unlike other games in which she's really sort of been a three-point shooter, she was actually going to the iron a lot in this game and drawing a bunch of fouls and that was actually sort of key to putting one of, you know, Arizona State's scorers into foul trouble and getting her off the floor, which I I thought was an interesting like change up in strategy. I hadn't seen Graves use that strategy before. So that was interesting. But anyway, yeah, Grace Van Sleutin, right? You know, seven for 14 from the floor and also five for 10 from the free throw line, which like Grace make your flipping free throws. Um, and also Philly make your flipping free throws two for seven. Oh my God, make your free throws, but you know, 17 free throws between the two of them, right? Because they're constantly going to the iron getting fouled. Which is
0: right, right, and and uh, uh, both Graves and some of the players that have been talking at press conferences, especially Grace and Chance, have uh, they've talked about um, trying to nudge Rambus into uh, a little bit more uh, aggressive play and and to have some confidence when she's driving to the basket and and. Um um, they' they're encouraging and coaching her in that direction. That's partially why we've seen um uh some of these uh things happening like you know, her going to the line more often and drawing fells.
1: But it but you know, so that's my, you know, uh, you know, tip of the hat, my wag of the finger is this team can't, you know, buy, Uh, a three-pointer right two for 14 from beyond the arc which includes you know uh, okay grace attempts one and she misses fine but you know chamberlain attempts one her only shot attempt of the entire game is a three-pointer that she misses uh priscilla williams attempts two she misses both sammy wagner attempts two her only two attempts in the game she misses both uh uh you know and of course sophia bell who has a goose egg for the you know her stat line right you know Oh, for 4 the the only four attempts that she makes in 29 minutes of play are four three point attempts in which she misses all of them she does not go to the free throw line at all because she's not going to the rim at all against a team that can't stop fouling right she's mm-hmm. she decides to make herself a perimeter shooter and she can't make a bucket from the perimeter uh yeah, like, and, and that's I and, don't understand why she's getting 29 minutes, but then I look at the rest of the team and I'm like, well, who else would I put in? Like, yeah. Well, she's she's getting those
0: kinds of minutes because of what she does on defense. And well,
1: okay, you're
0: right. And you know, um I mean she it, got eight rebounds in this game. You're right. Yeah, yeah, in and blocks, yeah. Yeah, and and so uh that's that's why she's in for um that amount of time that this 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 kind of production in, in this particular oregon game is the thing that's it, it's only going to beat the arizona states of the I world mean, yeah. I, yeah. yeah you get a, against uh, some of these other teams like uh usc and ucla and colorado colorado has the hot hand
1: well uh. yeah i mean <laughs> just beat stanford like yeah no, i know man yeah. <laughs> but like look what the reason that i i i didn't you know we were like planning the podcast and i was thinking about like well, let's just not talk about ucla nobody would notice but i want to talk about ucla because i want to talk about like hey the D, the team has actually got good defense and like you can win a game with defense and like shooting because like they had uh shooting in this game right they shot 42.4 percent from the floor 14.3 percent uh from the uh, three beyond the arc and 52 percent from the free throw line because the people who were getting fouled were their bigs and their bigs weren't making their free throws which like make your free throws like come on um but so this was like not a good shooting night for them, but it was a better shooting night than it was for Arizona state because Oregon plays good defense. And you know what it, you know, it's like, Hey, they're going to be a big 10 team, right? Like play really good. It's like the Iowa of, of, of of basketball, you know, except the Iowa of basketball is really good at basketball. It's the (laughs) Iowa football of women's basketball, not the Iowa women's basketball of women's basketball. That would be good.
0: Uh, yeah if only uh i know um and they're probably going in the final four again this year probably um (laughs) but the uh
1: uh yeah it's like if you have a really good defense like you can have an only mediocre offense and when you play bad teams you can win which like that's called big 10 west football (laughs) (laughs) all right Okay, that's enough of that. Do you do you want to is there anything else that you want to say about the women's basketball performance?
0: Uh no, I I'm sure they were uh happy with getting that that uh first Pac-12 win and we can say it, it was the first one at this point because they they did win the next one which is uh up to a different writer to yeah. to talk about. I mean, I,
1: that. I mean what a, what a week <laughs> for Arizona. Like their, their, their men's basketball team loses and then gets stuck in Pullman with their athletic director while their football coach and entire football staff. And now their entire football team is transferring out, uh, you know, and their women's basketball team loses to the ducks who are not a great yeah. women's basketball team. So yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, uh, oh, and Johnny it, Nansen left for Texas cause they couldn't afford to pay him either. Cause they're $240 million in debt because of an accounting error. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, uh, the, that's slipping more than one decimal place. I mean, yeah, man. Like
1: that's not transposing a digit. <laughs> like 240 million is not divisible
0: yeah. by nine. <laughs> this was, this was millions, not thousands. How did you do this? Did you even pass college mathematics? Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. Let's, yeah,
0: The, um, the women's basketball team goes to the Bay area, uh, this coming weekend and yeah, we'll see how they, how they do. I don't um, know. Stanford's
1: been on opposite day they're You know, they're they're upsetting teams they shouldn't upset and they're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. So like, I don't know, man, we'll
0: see. So, um, I, I'm not necessarily expecting, uh, wins, but if we see a, a progression of improvement, it, especially with the, the sore spots that we've talked about, offensive production and, and ball control, um, that's what I'm looking for. We'll see.
1: All right. Let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We will. Uh, we will talk about men's basketball point guards. So you wrote a uh, rather provocative article if I may say so um about uh, Oregon's new uh, uh freshman point guard Jackson Shellstat um and you compared him to another uh historic point guard that Oregon had who played as a freshman Luke Ridenauer um and you you framed the question you know is is Jackson Shellstat a generational point guard for Oregon and, uh, and then the, the way that you went about it was comparing, you know, Shellsat's numbers to date with R- Ridenour's performance in his freshman year. Frankly, I think the way that you statistically compared them was completely invalid. And I can't believe that I allowed you to get away with it. Although I thought <laughs> yeah. the question was so provocative and interesting that I let you fly. With well, it.
0: Uh, uh, a problem was that we uh, didn't have we don't have. Uh, yeah that was one of uh, available copies. and that that would have been uh that would have been uh you a compare
1: partial year data uh, to a whole year data and then you didn't have the whole year's data also ridden hour wasn't really the starter as a freshman like you i mean it really should have been like maybe his sophomore year versus shellstead's like completed freshman year i don't know
0: he started uh ridden hour started every game in in his freshman year though he didn't he didn't start every game. As a well, he started every game that he played. He, I, yeah, I believe he started uh, twenty-eight games. He started in in the, the twenty-eight games that he played.
1: Um, I mean, s- and the other thing is that, like, it, well, I guess we'll put it this way: it's certainly the case that from an offensive production standpoint, Shellstad is is blowing hour out of the water. You know because ridden hour wasn't really like ridden hour was a distributor yep and and, and shellstat i mean shellstat is also a distributor but like hey man he's also a producer like if the shot's there he makes the shot but like i mean ridden hour i mean you pulled you pulled up his uh his numbers i mean he was a he was attempting 6.2 field goals per game, you know, and was only shooting, you know, 34% from the floor, which is like, those are bad numbers, you know? Yep. I'm like, yeah, he's a freshman, yeah. but like, well, that was the point of your article, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, the, um, um, the data is incomplete and, uh, there will be better. Um, there will have, um, better information for, um, uh, you know, looking at at the end of the season at Shellstad versus ridden versus aaron brooks versus pritchard i'm actually
1: and, more interested in the brooks and pritchard comparison yeah. than the ridden because i just think the ridden had a totally different game like what do you remember about i mean yes be, i mean i understand why you're doing the comparison because ridden you know was the freshman but um and like I get it like I, I get it, that it's cool that like Shellstad is doing all of this as a freshman I understand that that was the comparison but like if you're talking like the your headliner question was is he a generational point guard and like you, you, you know for me like generational point guard you know I'm talking you know that you know that's the guy who like carries you through so, you know for me that's that's not Luke or like like written hours like you're a career point guard but like i don't know i i feel like i feel like sort of like complete package like i, I trust this guy in the clutch like those are your brooks and your uh your peyton pritchard guys or what do you remember yeah. about luke Rittenhour? do you think i'm smirching him um
0: well, well possibly because uh you know certainly after that freshman year as a sophomore and junior um uh Luke Ridnour was everything that uh uh I looked to and would expect from a point guard and you know he was he was highly touted uh he really uh, kept that that uh team together and was um i, I think he was the reason why uh, they went to the elite eight in, during his sophomore year I as far as far as as far as, I mean, yeah, as, right as brookson and, and pritchard it's it's easy for fans to remember what they became because they were outstanding in their upperclassmen seasons but um but they were uh, and this this is why um at, at the end of the season uh, like t- to do a comparison with everybody their their numbers in production were were not really great uh, well, as freshmen uh, well but, yeah because they were know, they behind to...
1: because they were behind other players right which like right. i mean that's just the situation that jackson shells sort of steps into though like yeah i mean he steps into a situation where like you know will richardson was oregon's point guard for like five years because Dana Altman showed him a lot of loyalty, which, you know, uh, it w- was a, was a choice, you know, uh, and, and yeah. I mean, certainly there's there's nothing that Jackson has done is has demonstrated has, indicates that he should be making a different choice with Jackson Zelstad. So, you know, let's just leave it at that. Um, but, right, and the, know, the
0: the idea. Uh, behind um, a generation generational uh, talent is, you know, part objective part subjective. Uh, the thing that made uh, Luke Ridenour a generational point guard is what, what the team was able to do and elevate uh, in comparison to. yep, The previous 20 or 25 years, you know, with, with him at, at the helm and leading the team. And that's, that's part of the, uh, the uh, subjectivity behind the question that I pose. So, I
1: mean, I I also tend to think that like a lot of this has to do with like the relief factor or the comparison factor of what comes for. Like I, I said it before on this podcast, I do not want every time that we talk about men's basketball in general or point guards in particular to, for this podcast to turn to the dump on Will Richardson podcast. But like, I feel like I'll like, okay, so between 2021 and 2022 on the football team, Oregon went from Anthony Brown to Bo Nix mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, Bo Nix had a very good 2022. He had a great 2023. Um, in fact he finished 2023 with literally the NCAA you know, record for most accurate quarterback of all time, although it took a little goosing um, <laughs> still like the, the numbers but it was a, a lot of what I was remarking on in 2022 was that like Oregon went from maybe one of their least accurate quarterbacks in recent memory in Anthony Brown, where I was literally telling people every week that like, you have to, you know, you run out the fundamental strength numbers for Oregon's offense versus the opponent's defense. And then you project what the score ought to be. And then you, you know, like in uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you, you flip over the amulet and, and find that written on the back is, and then you take back, you know, seven points, you know, due to (laughs) Anthony, the Anthony Brown, Accuracy tax, right? Like that—that that, you know, once uh, that that every game there's going to be at least one drive that should be a scoring drive that instead is going to end prematurely because Anthony Brown is going to throw a succession of inaccurate passes that causes the drive to end and no points to be accumulated. You know, like that's and like I was saying that sort of tongue in cheek to start the year, but then like by the end of the year when I did my postseason statistical review and was like, let's see if that rule of thumb would actually hold up if I framed it out, and it was like, yeah, actually, pretty much exactly that. Like, exact, like you know, figure out what your what your model predicts what the score would be, and then the actual score is that minus seven, um, you know, due <laughs> to that. And then, so then Bo Nix steps in, and like we didn't, you know, we were still trying to figure out who exactly Bo Nix was going to be. I had my prediction. Because, you know, which I had written ahead of time, like it wasn't a post talk, you know, like, oh, I can figure out what Bo Nix, you know, Now, with hindsight, it was foresight, you know, because hey, I think you know, having studied his film, I think he's stepping into a much better situation with all these surrounding pieces and the offensive line, play calling, and receivers and so forth. And I thought the Auburn situation sucked, and so I think he's going to be really good. Uh, You know, at Oregon, lo and behold, he was. But it was still the case that, like, I had to disentangle the way that you felt about the guy, you know, and the you know from from just the like the just the gap between. Oregon's like most inaccurate quarterback in recent memory to like their most accurate quarterback in recent memory, like, and simple, like accuracy is not the end all be all stat for a quarterback, but like, it's a pretty important one, you know, put the ball where it's supposed to be. Dude is like, you know, yep. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do so there's been a lot the of chance. Years. yeah for sure so oh, anyway that's what i'm tra- like like so a lot of the oregon fans falling in love with bo Nix thing was the he's not anthony brown thing you know like what i guess what i'm trying to say is that if bo Nix wasn't bo Nix, most accurate literally most accurate quarterback ever but was just replacement value quarterback like who whatever the For the year of 2022, whatever the average FBS level of accuracy was, which would probably be, you know, a couple points below what Bo Nix was Oregon fans would still probably have fallen in love with that guy because that guy would have been like, oh, my God, he's not just randomly ending drives with misplaced passes, you know, once a game. Right. So to get back to basketball, like. I feel like a lot of Oregon fans falling in love with Jackson Shellstat is because like it, 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 it may, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that like, maybe he's
0: not Bo Nix yet. Maybe he's just not Anthony Brown. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And um, that's partially why, I am interested in doing, but it's possible that he is
1: Bo Nix just like Bo Nix. Wasn't just replacement value quarterback who you loved because he wasn't Anthony Brown, but turned out to be literally the most accurate quarterback ever. But it's like you needed to wait an entire two years for the conclusion of the Fiesta bowl you know in order to for him to to win that ncaa record you know like right and, 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 you and, know it. your feelings about jackson Shellstat as being a generational point guard like are probably still mixed up with him not being will richardson so well, like and,
0: and i also didn't uh declare that um he was a generational point guard he's possibly uh on the right track for that, but yeah. yeah, we we need to see more play, and and that's partially why, uh, I I when all, all said and done with this season, uh, I want to do a kind of a proper statistical review, uh, between yeah. him and and previous point guards in their first seasons, and then well, don't just take then... their first season, try like take their best season, you know, take their
1: like, you know. Well what I would, would he I would be, need to do in order for him to become you uh, know I, like I would
0: be doing that as well, you know. Yeah uh, yeah you look at at uh where Shells had uh, stacks up against these other players in their um freshman season, and then yeah, you look at where they went when they were really good point guards and um use that as as a basis for well uh what are we looking for from shellstead next year for improvement
1: well you could model out you could also take that to sort of like model out a like all right roughly speaking what can an oregon what can we expect for improvement year over year from an oregon point guard
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so, therefore, like, okay, if Jackson Schellstad is doing this now as a freshman, hmm, what can we expect for him to do in the future? All right. Uh, okay. Anything yeah, more that, you want to say?
0: Uh, no. The, the, the rest will be uh, a conversation for after the season. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see where everything falls.
1: Okay. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll keep up the stats talk, uh, and we'll switch over to football as though I didn't already hijack this. In of- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back in a minute. So, um, Uh, uh, Last week, uh, I published my postseason offensive statistical review. Uh, This week, uh, the counterpart about the defense is going up. I, uh, you know, I realized one of the things that I said in my uh, offensive statistical review article was that Oregon was getting the job done in fewer snaps this year. Like I only had 700 snaps to review despite having 13 FBS games and that that was basically the number that I would expect in previous, you know, iterations of this team, the 2012 uh, excuse me, 2019, 2021, and 2022 teams. 700 snaps is what I would expect uh, from those teams for 12 FBS games, not 13. So Oregon was putting their opponent, you know, those their games into garbage time, you know, on average, about like 10 to 15 snaps earlier in the game. And so I talked, I was sort of used that as a bit as a framing device, as like, look how much more, A explosive the offenses and be consistent at scoring you know not not leaving points on the table but there was a third element to that as well which is the defense is improving because you know obviously if you're you know one of the factors in putting your opponents into garbage time is keeping your opponents off the board because you know the the score differential is part of you know the major factor in what determines the fact that it's garbage time which means you got to keep your opponent's points Points low when you got to keep your points high. So, sure. you know, w- let's talk about uh uh how Oregon went about keeping their opponent's points uh low. Um the it, it, Oregon's defense uh you know, as a statistical matter definitely improved compared to uh 2022. In fact, even though even though Oregon's offense in 2023 was elite and in many ways, deserves all the highlights because, I mean, it was by some metrics, it was the number one offense in the nation, um, you, you know, by, by some advanced metrics and and by other metrics, you know, there there isn't a single way of measuring Oregon's offense statistically in which they're worse than a top five. You know, I don't, you know, which statistical system you look out, even raw stats, you know, it's, it's t- at least top five in everything. And in certain advanced statistical systems, I mean, like number one or number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, you know, I break out my own charting system and I talk about the ways that, you know, it was elite. Um, the defense, not quite there not, not, you know, not a top five or, or, or top two, you know, defense. Um, and in fact, uh, um, in the metrics that I track, uh, yeah, I, I, track six major metrics, um, which is per play success rate, run and pass yards per play run and pass and, uh, explosiveness run and pass. And then because I do it for offense and defense, I guess you could say I track 12 major stats. Um, for the offense, those the, the offensive six, all six of them are not just championship caliber, but they're elite, elite numbers, um, like beyond championship caliber. For the defense, most of them are championship caliber. In fact, two of them are elite, but a couple others are are not even championship caliber they're pretty good they're above average it's why i think in like f plus it was like the number 16 defense which is pretty good but here's the thing it was way better than 2022 like the the improvement on offense between 2022 and 2023 is i mean there were some but it got more explosive Um, but like they didn't have much higher they could go. Like they were getting pretty close to like the theoretical ceiling that an offense can attain. Um, the, the, the defense on the other hand was like in the, the, the defense last year in, in 2022, I should say was it was until they played Oregon state and then they had some weirdness in the holiday bowl. Um, until they played Oregon state they were cruising for like uh, like about 38 in f plus and then the oh my god what is happening at the end of the civil war like dropped them down to to like 53 or something like that and it's just oh like you got yeah
0: one game. wow
1: well uh, still, you know. It was, well, it it wasn't just the one game. It was also, you have to remember that in advanced stats, it's opponent adjusted. And so when they get the final game of the season, they also get all of the other games that are played. And so it changes the relative value of all the other teams. So it causes it to like reevaluate your entire schedule. So it wasn't just the effect of one game. It was, you know, Uh, but anyway, um, So the fact that, you know, in, in F plus advanced statistics, Oregon jumped, you know, something like 35 ranks or something like that. Like it's a more, you know, even though they jumped to a lower spot than the offense jumped to the size of the jump was bigger Mm -hmm. on defense. Right. And so I sort of tracked out, you know, how that was in my, uh, in my article, um, the, uh, the 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 major um it, they it, it, the rush defense, there's some improvement. Uh, the, the rush defense was actually, you know, p- pretty decent last year. I know the Oregon state game was like really painful, but it was really kind of the exception. And it was to this day, n- nobody can satisfactorily explain to me what the hell happened in that fourth quarter against Oregon state. It was really just kind of a, a crazy thing that happened. And I, it was super painful and probably cost Oregon a playoff appearance. I mean, it was like nuts. Um, yeah. And so I understand why it sort of sticks in everybody's brains, but like, if you can somehow bracket that like Oregon's rush defense in 2022 was already pretty good. Um, and Oregon just sort of like incrementally improved on their rush defense compared to last year. Um, uh, you know, so they, they go up about four points in efficiency, although they're still, although that's just a 58%, which is slightly below the championship. Um, uh, you know, threshold of 60%. Um, and in fact, the one area in, um, in, in, when I break out the, 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 the down and distance situational numbers, they actually slightly, uh, declined the, the, the one area in which there was a, a decline in the down and distance numbers is third and short, um, defense in which they go down by about two, a little less than 3 points down to like 40 you know four, 44% or so um on third and short like i mean most team which is actually most teams are like the, the fbs average or at least in my experience is more like 42% so actually 44% is slightly better than average but like obviously oregon doesn't want to be average oregon wants to be good um yeah. so you know, Oregon should. You know, look, that's something that they would probably like to to improve upon. I will say, and I, as I point out in the article, like sort of the the nature of the mint defensive structure. That's sort of like that's always going to be your vulnerability. Is just teams sort of pounding the ball up the middle. Just sort of that's the nature of the mint defensive structure. Is that they you it's it's you know if anybody plays d and d like it's your dump stat you know like mm. uh uh you know it's like you you you, you have a, you have a barbarian who's super uncharismatic you know like he's he's real u- ugly because who cares <laughs> you know like that that's their dump stat uh oh come on um, my
0: troll barbarian is he's kind of cute yeah all right um <laughs>
1: because like, you know, who, who cares about running like, you know, three yards on a cloud of dust. No one's ever going to beat you that way. Um, you know so it's sort of like that's uh, to some extent to be expected now obviously you want to improve every year and so i'm sure oregon is doing you know that they are obviously trying to improve on the defensive line they're, they're always you know dan lanning is obviously you know trying to make that a priority um and probably will until the day he dies um but like you know i can report that that's the, it is the weakest but by, by in a per play basis it is the weakest area uh you know in terms of efficiency for the entire team at 58%. Um, and it is the one area in which there was a decline situationally was third and short. Now, is that the end of the world like or even close? No. And is that to be expected with the mint defensive structure? Yes. Uh, but that's it. That's it. End of bad news. The, the end, like now the rest of it, they, they got better in terms of yards per carry allowed, uh, by about a third of a the yard. They got r- like straight up elite number, um, in explosive rushing, uh, allowed down to 8.5%, which is the second best number I have ever recorded ever. Like the only other defense in my entire history of charting teams, which is like hundreds of, of teams, full seasons is Georgia in 2020. 21, which like go figure like well, you know those dan <laughs> yeah. lanning's defense right um so yeah that's about it for the rush defense i don't really talk about it, but that anymore um the uh oh um I, no there is one other thing to say about the rush defense which is big improvements in rush defense on um uh, uh first and 10 and second and long like nine and a quarter points um so like it you know, it's like, it's just the short yardage running. It's just the, um, uh, 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 and actually they improved in second and short running as well. Um, although teams didn't really run very often in second and short, actually, I shouldn't have said that because teams chose to run the ball on second and short Um, only about 16 times, which is not quite enough for me to analyze it. Like Oregon actually didn't face second and short very often because they did very well on first down, like Oregon was a fantastic first down defense. And so they didn't face a whole lot of second and short. So like, um, uh, 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 I really, I don't don't have a, I had to collate the, the, the entire second and short data, but
0: anyway, the, um, and and uh, second and short is, uh, three yards or less, right?
1: Uh correct. Yeah. Okay. Um so uh but anyway, it's really just third and short. But but first and ten, second and long. Um the second and long was simply like Oregon faced 43 second and longs in which the opponent ran, and they faced like 90 something second and longs in which the opponent threw the ball because Oregon was facing a lot of second and longs. Why were they facing a lot of second and longs? Because they did really well on first down right in fact in particular they did really well when the opponent ran the ball on first down they 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 had a, a 68.5% defensive success rate when they ran the ball on first and 10 Um, which not only is a really phenomenal number, but it's a nine and a quarter point improvement. And then if they chose to ball, run the ball again on second and long, they, they defended that at a 58% rate, which is again, a nine and a quarter point improvement. So like, Ooh, that was, you know, if you were a run, run pass team, like you were really in trouble against the ducks, because if, you know, you ran on first and 10 Oregon was going to defend you really well then you were in second along you ran again Oregon was going to defend that really well so now you're in third and long well now you're going to pass well guess what I'm getting ahead of myself because I was going to talk about the pass next but like the best area that Oregon defended in terms of down and distance was passing on third and long which was 73 and a half percent which is a like god my you know my eyes hit my Mm -hmm. my eyebrows hit my hairline 73 and a half percent on third and long, like, get, you know, that's why Oregon was getting off the field, man. You know, like yeah. put, put the opponent into third and long, make them pass, you know, defend the pass, get off the field. Like that's how you do. That's how you do. Right. So anyway, good rush defense and it more you know improvement, you know, improvement, substantial improvement on first and 10, substantial improvement on second and long in the rush defense. It's just the short yardage third and third and short, you know, rush defense which like of course it is. So, pass defense. This was globally speaking, this was really where the improvement was because in uh, and where the defense wasn't minty enough in 2022 right so in 2022 the first year of the install but where they were still like almost all mario crystal ball players which like you, you can't really fault mario crystal players for not being mint defensive players because like of course they weren't there wasn't a mint defense so like i'm mm-hmm. not trying to really throw shade at those guys it's just like um that you know not not the right body types for this
0: defense so like okay um yeah you can be a really good football player but but not fit the system yeah uh, that that just means you be a really good football player uh in that system elsewhere yeah, t- sure. Uh
1: it, it's it's neither here nor there. I'm just I'm sure. I just don't want anybody to to think I'm trying to throw shade at those guys for being sucky players. Like they, you know, that's that's not what this means. It just means you know wrong body types for this defense. So year two, so they they were only fifty five point five percent efficient against or you know successful against the pass in 2022. That ain't gonna cut it. Um, and it is, and in the down and distance numbers you know you really had a problem they were only 51% against the pass on first down um they were only 33% on second and short against the pass which that's terrible that's wow. i mean my that's terrible against the pass on second and short um they were okay in second and medium and second long against the pass in 2022 um they but third and short um you know the the uh uh they you know they were they, they were bad third and medium you, you know they were uh underwater um and uh third and long only 61% which like yeah 61% is a good number but like it needs to be better right like you're still you know letting teams continue drives 39% of the time right so um so like that you know that's the problem yeah uh, now,
0: the, i i got a quick question yeah do, yeah. do both of those um, both those statistical deficiencies factor significantly in uh, Washington's wins in both the games.
1: I was talking about 2022, so Oregon oh, okay. played Washington once in 2022. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I, all the numbers that I just read off, you know, problems with Oregon's pass defense in 2022. Um, yeah. So. Uh, let me do it one more time real quick or Oregon's past defense in 2022 globally 55.5 percent not good enough below championship caliber for on first and 10 again this is 2022 uh 51.5 percent barely above average um uh uh second and short 33 percent absolutely pathetic Um, on second and short in 2022 against the pass, um, uh, 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 third and medium 49%, you know, also pathetic, um, third and long 61%, which is like, okay, but not like, not really good enough to consistently be getting off the field on, on third and long. Um, that's, you know, and the, remember the whole point of the mint defensive structure is, Defend the pass that you can get off the field because in modern college football, the, 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 the sort of philosophical realization about the, that that undergirds the, the mint defensive philosophy is that it, in the past teams were converting their third downs by running the ball. They felt like that was okay. You did your work to, you know, on first and second down to get close enough on third down to be able to run the ball to convert it. And then you ran the ball to convert it because running the ball was a you know, right. Cause you're keeping it on the ground. There's no uncertainty about connecting on the pass um, because you didn't trust your quarterback, right. In the, in the old days of, of football, you didn't trust your quarterback to be more than a 50% passer. Right. So you, yeah. you did your work to get close enough to the line to be able to run the ball and convert on third down and get yourself a fresh set of downs. And so, but that's all flipped. It flipped, you know, when, whenever it happened around the turn of the century or so, when, when the, when, the great awakening for quarterbacks happened when suddenly they all jumped about 10 percentage point in completion percentage. I don't know why that was. Maybe they all started going to quarterback camps or I don't know why, but like suddenly you started being able to rely on your quarterbacks and suddenly the baseline for quarterbacks for, you know, performance is like 60 percent accuracy well now now what teams do to convert their third downs is not run the ball it's short passes Mm -hmm. and so the mint defensive structure and philosophy is a response to that new reality where the way that teams convert on third down is short passes so the way that that mint defensive teams want to get off the field is they emphasize everything they can to take away quick short passes, um, and and so that's like if you examine the body types, the structure, everything, everything that animates the mint defensive structure is stop quick short passes. And so if you look at the numbers, that's what I'm trying to tell you about 2022 is like they were failing. They they were failing at the core mission of the mint defensive structure in in 2022, which is stopping quick short passes, particularly when it's time to get off the field. So now, now 2023. And the question before us is, okay. So they further mintified the defense. Were they successful in their core mission goal of improve pass defense, particularly against quick, short passes so that they can get off the field. Well, let me tell you the numbers against globally against the pass, they improved five and a half percentage points to 61 percent so yippee that's huge five mm-hmm. and a half percentage points globally yeah like to cross from from an above average team to a championship caliber team in one year like bang the table like way to go now let me read you some down and distance specific numbers um uh uh, on first and 10 they improved 3.3 um uh uh points actually there's some room for improvement uh, there there you know it, it was they did improve but they can improve better you know m- there there's still more room for improvement on first and 10 so it's only 55 percent. they could still improve some more on first and 10 but still they did improve versus 2022 so that's good uh Second and short, this is the number that knocked my socks off, just blew me away. In 2022, they were 33% against the pass. In 2023, they were 71.5% against the past they improved 24 uh percentage like i mean just like or or, uh like or i'm sorry i i need to i need to 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 smush it all together it was it was an improvement uh uh in total uh, on second and short uh, uh uh of 24 percentage points which is just like you you like Holy cow! Like, I mean, just bonkers. Like, knock my socks off. Um, they were just as good as they were on second and medium. They are already pretty good in second and medium. Uh, they improved by three point nine percentage points on second and long against the pass to to a championship threshold. You know, sixty three point six four percent. Um, uh, 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 on third and medium against the pass, they improved five percentage points. Um, and here's the real money number the real money number against the pass on third and long. It's time to get off the field, right? Your third and Pelham down. Like how many defensive coordinators has Oregon had in which you're like, okay, you did your work to get in third and long. Now it's time for the conversion. And I roll my eyes, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. It, you told me there was going to be no math here. On, right. On Oregon podcast.
1: improves by 12 and a half percentage points to 73.5% on third and long against the pass and it was all it was like they they faced 51 of them and 49 were passes so it was like all against the pass, right? They improved from 61% to 73.5% on third and long against the pass, right? Like that's it. That's 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 it. That's the money. That's the yeah, cash. Yeah cash correct,
0: money. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that uh improvement to that 73 and a half percent is Um, probably the most significant improvement uh, overall in the defense. That's,
1: I mean, that's, that's it. That's the, that's the, that's it that you did your job, Dan and Tosh and Chris Hampton and, and everybody like you, you, you mission accomplished in terms of mintifying the defense. Like the core principle of this defense is to stop the pass on third and long and get off the field. And that's what we So now Oregon has an elite number on third and long of getting off the field. Now the, the one. Uh, there there is one bad number and and also they uh they also improved on yard per pass attempt um which is uh uh you know they went from seven uh yards per pass attempt which was an okay number in 2022 to 6.43 yards per pass attempt in 2023 which is a pretty good number um uh now here's the thing they played you asked me about this a second ago um they played Washington twice that's somewhat distortive. Washington had literally the most explosive passing offense in college football in 2023. If I try to make it a little more fair to the Ducks and just eliminate one of those games, not both of them, you know, but either one of the, either the October game or the December game, then Oregon's pass defense number, it doesn't really change the efficiency number because you, you should expect that the efficiency number is the efficiency number. And also Washington's offense is actually not that efficient um it it's explosive but it's not it, 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 yeah anyway the um if you've been reading my Washington articles that should come as a surprise um their yards so anyway if i eliminate that one game or one of those two games it doesn't matter which one um then Oregon's pass defense numbers, their yards per pass attempt falls down to like more like six yards per pass attempt, which is a really, really good number. And the, um, explosive, uh, play, uh, yards, the, the, the rate of explosive pass allowed falls from 14% to like 11 and percent. like, either one of the Washington games is worth 2.5 percentage points in explosive plays allowed which like yeah that's why they're losing those games you know because jesus christ like now now there's two things to be said about that like okay when you play like a super explosive offense you give up explosive passes so like how good was your explosive pass defense really like and second of all um like 11 and a half is still not quite championship caliber championship caliber is 10%. So it's still like, okay, there's some work to be done. Like they're doing a good job against efficiency passing, but they still needed to do a better job against explosive passing. Like there's still work to be done there. And obviously like there, there's going to be some other team that they play. Like, uh, you know, they got Ohio state coming to Otson in, in week five, you know, Mm -hmm. Like you got to stop explosive passing. You want to win football games. You got to stop explosive passing. So like Oregon's got to work on that. And also like in in the rest of my article, is breaking down all of the individual players and individual player grades, which we're sort of going along here, so I'm going to wrap this up. But like, I I discuss where the, the issues were in the Oregon's defensive backfield between injuries and sort of player availability and where did the guy's grades were. And it, it became sort of very clear to me that in between cornerback injuries and not being able to sort of rotate the safeties. And so guys were... Playing them out of position is not exactly the right thing to say because all of the guys that they were playing are safeties, but it's like they were playing one dude as a nickel who should have been at deep safety. They were playing one guy as a deep safety who should have been a box safety, and they were playing one guy at deep safety who should have been on the bench. Um, And they had to play the same three safeties on like literally every snap because everybody else was hurt, you know and they apparently weren't willing to go to their freshmen at the safety positions. Um, and they weren't willing to put Nico Reed in as a slot corner, which I didn't really understand that. I don't, I don't know what their excuses on that one. Um, I, I mean, that's another one, like just like Oregon, I think Oregon fans need to like face up to the fact that like Will Stein chose the wrong offensive game plan against Washington in the conference championship game. And like, Like Oregon fans need to face up to the fact that like they have a young coaching staff that makes some mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that this may too be an area where like the the way that they deployed their defensive backfield. Yes, it was constrained. You know, they weren't operating with a full hand, but like still there they they had some choices that they could have made. And I think this is just my opinion and it's possible that they, there's stuff that they know that I don't. And so my opinion may be wrong about this, but it's my opinion based on the data that I have, including Nico Reed being available because I sent you to games to stand in the press box and look down at the sideline with binoculars and verify that Nico Reed was healthy and available and standing there. And you did that Badwater. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that they could have even within the constrained options that they had, they could have played their hand better. Uh, on the defensive backfield. And so I explained that in my article, what I would have preferred and gave the, 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 I, I, I gave the split out grade numbers for, to explain why a different configuration probably would have graded out better and probably would have had somewhat better numbers against the explosive passing, you know, area, which was at, at like, 14 percent is sort well 15 percent is FBS average in my experience 14 percent is better than average, but Oregon's not trying to be better than average Oregon's trying to be championship caliber so like yeah, exactly yeah. So So that's my article. There's obviously more data in it than we've just gone over in the podcast, but I wanted to highlight the, the, the the main thing to me was that like they accomplished their mission of getting mintier, but there's still some more work to do in terms of, you know, getting more stout in the defensive line to stop those third and short runs and, you know, just getting better really in the secondary in order to stop explosive passing. Um, but yeah, otherwise and, like all, you know, still, still pretty, you know, uh, g- lots of greens across my board and definite improvement, uh, compared to 2022.
0: Yeah. And that's what, what's making, uh, some of the returners significant, like oh, certainly, like the Jordan Birch is the world, but you know, uh, and, and Jeff
1: Bossa and Justin Jacobs, who where the, the, you know, where the mint defensive philosophy gets its short, quick pass breakups on third down is from and where the the body type change between 2022 and 2023 is it's in the linebacker core so bringing back guys like bossa and jacobs yeah you bet you better believe it that that's significant
0: yeah and in the secondary um uh, we seem to have some uh pieces that are coming back they're going to be helpful but um yeah like Florence graded out really well as cornerback for example yeah but what they're doing with the transfer portal is uh, again it same as um the you know, last couple of seasons it's v- very intriguing yeah. uh, who they're bringing in um to you know kind of hopefully uh, address these deficiencies that you're talking about
1: yeah well Kevin wrote up the article uh today on the, the 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 next wave of transfers that came in. As I mentioned on the top of the podcast, I've acquired all the film on Oregon's, you know, transfers and we'll be writing those guys up. I just, you know, I need a few weeks to watch film guys. Like I, I can't publish all that. you know people have been, been contacting me over Twitter, you know, they're like I, I need the skinny on all these guys. Like, what do you got? And I'm just like, I can't. Rome wasn't built in a day, okay? Like, it takes me some time to process. Even on snow days, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, when I can't get out the house, yeah. I I still take <laughs> me some time to to watch film. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. You, you got any parting
0: words of wisdom for us, Badwater? No, um, I just, uh, hope that, uh, that everybody out there, not just a, the addicted quack listeners, um, have not been severely impacted by this ice storm and that you, you, uh, weathered it fine. And, um, well, the next time we're going to be talking, uh, it's going to be the start of softball season. Oh boy. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh. They're, I mean, they're, they're literally going through training right now. Um, I, I am looking forward to, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like they're forecasting some above freezing temperature rain that will hopefully wash some of this stuff away, <laughs> but it never rains on this podcast.